Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, watch a Doctor Who story suggested by a friend of mine. They've chosen their favourite things about it, and as I'm commentating along, I have to guess what those favourite things are. Hi everybody, uh, thank you so much for tuning in and a big thank you to Toby for inviting me on to Happy Times and Places to talk about one of my favourite stories from Doctor Who. My name is Fraser Gregory, I am a full-time Doctor Who fan and have been ever since the Daleks came up the stairs after Sylvester McCoy in Remembrance of the Daleks. Um, I'm now a part-time podcaster. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can find me on The Nine Be Praised, uh, Gallifrey's Most Wanted, Doctor Who Literature with Jason Miller. Uh, the Trap One podcast, uh, but mostly you will find me on A Hamster with a Blunt Penknife with my good friends Joe Ford and Simon Hart. I'm also on Twitter as at Felix Fraser, Fraser spelled with a Z, or one word. Um, if you would like to see my ramblings about Doctor Who on there. Today I have come to discuss my favourite story from season 18 of Doctor Who, which is Megloss. Megloss, for some reason, isn't highly thought of by a lot of people. Um, I don't fully understand why, because to me, it is just a big, huge slice of fun. Um, obviously, we know that John Nathan Turner um, made a concerted effort to move away from the, the humour of the Douglas Adams and Graham Williams era of season 17 when he took over. And I think that leads season 18 to be a little bit dry in places and a little bit poor-faced um, and that just makes Megloss stand out as just a beacon of um, fun it's just one last hurrah from that Graham Williams era it's just very Douglas, Douglas Adams-esque um, right down to that earthling who could just basically be Arthur Dent um, by the end um, so there's just so much to love in it as well, um, it's packed Full of great performances it's a really quite funny script um, the pacing is great it just zips along uh, it's a zingy little story you can just pop on and enjoy um, really quickly at any time so without further ado let's um, dive in to Megloss um, enjoy the treats within there and we'll come back and discuss what my um, favorite things are about this story Thanks be to Ty. Well, hello, my darlings, and welcome to... Why, why have I started like that? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Hello, everybody. Uh, love is darlings. Wonderful people out there listening to happy times and places. Here am I, Toby Haydock, trying to inject a bit of joy into your lives or to your appreciation of Doctor Who or if your lives were already full of joy and your appreciation of Doctor Who is also or, or, or already at the, uh, uh, the the apex of bonhomie and appreciation then uh, I've just come to uh, either match you or top you up or uh, whatever you want anyway uh, as you'll know by now I hope unless this is your very first one uh, this is a podcast in which I uh, watch a Doctor Who story buoyed up by a friend, colleague, fellow fan, sometimes combination of all three, uh, who has something nice to say about a story. And uh, I have to guess what that 
what those things, one per episode and one bonus, are, whilst also commentating along and dropping in some truth bombs and some observations. By truth bombs, I mean obscure facts about actors generally um, or childhood reminiscences uh, that I do hope strike a chord or at least uh, give an indication of what it was like to be a fan at a certain point in time. For me, I started watching with a repeat of The Invisible Enemy and have, uh, and have not stopped since. Uh, Fraser, I don't really know, uh, to be fair. Uh, I've, I've come to know Fraser through the world of podcasts and um, very much enjoy listening to him on uh, Hamster with a Blunt Pen Knife with the lovely Joe Ford. And um, uh, through when we were talking, I... I well, I, d I don't know how it came about, but anyway, Fr Fraser is the first person to give me a season 18 story. I had loads of people sign up to season 18 stories. Some of them may be listening now, they probably aren't, uh, but who, who, who have, have claimed those tales but have not yet recorded their... In fact, they were all, they were all taken fairly early on, but nobody recorded their entries apart from Megalos, which wasn't taken. Fraser took it anyway, and was the he was so he's the first he was the last to claim a season eighteen story, but the first person to send me in a contribution. Now I've since had a leisure hive, and I've since had a keeper of Traken. Those those people uh, who who did those stories have now given me their contributions, but I feel I should honour Fraser first, even though, as I'm sure will be discussed, this is not your typical season eighteen. So we might get to another season eighteen sooner rather than later, because I try and mix up the styles of stories that uh, I bung out for these things. Um, so anyway, uh, shall we see what I make of Megloss, and then we'll see what Fraser makes of Megloss, and the keen observers amongst you will note whether we're in accord or not so i'm going to press play in oh now this is interesting because my robot lady speaker thing has uh, is not no longer seeing eye to eye with my fire stick uh so i've moved over to another device that i've stolen from my partner's other room which is one that she uses uh, when she's bathing and stuff like that, so it's a waterproof one. But um, I can't actually tell it what to do. So we've had to retire that poor old, uh, that poor old robot lady speaker. Uh, the, future, the future doesn't last very long, do you know what I mean? In the old days, you had a television that you pressed the buttons on and it made the sound come out and it showed you the pictures. And occasionally you'd, you'd see black bars appear on the top or the bottom and they'd get larger and larger as you knew your television was getting breakier and breakier. And occasionally there was talk of people's tellies blowing up. But these, this modern stuff, there seems to be something goes wrong every blooming day. Every time I try and relax and just go, this is sometimes known to be a plaintive cry out of this house. Of, I just want to watch the television. So I may actually have to, uh, have to turn the volume down manually. I'm going to have to do that. So, I mean, obviously there'll be an edit, but uh, I'm going to go and have to, Turn the sound down on this. Oh, the humanity. Turn the sound down manually on the speakers. Like an old timer. Uh, God, what else am I going to have to do next? Now you're going to have to... I'm going to have to go walk to London and, uh, and write a letter to my beloved. Um, anyway, so I'm just going to do that. 
Cool, so there we are, and I've just had to, oh, I've just had to, you know, b- boil water in a pot and uh, uh, and use a mangle to dry my clothes and also manually sort out the volume of what I'm about to watch and listen to, which is Meglos, which is a story I will have watched, actually, on a black and white portable television, which is the thing we had in the olden days, because the first Doctor Who episode I saw in colour at home was episode two of The Two Doctors. Uh, so don't let these poncy t- velvet tones deceive you into thinking I'm somehow from posh stock. We didn't get a video. We didn't get a video machine until episode one of Time and the Rani, uh, and I didn't watch Doctor Who in colour until episode two of The Two Doctors. My mum had other priorities, and they weren't in. They weren't in getting surround sound, and uh, and uh, 4K HD color. That didn't exist then, but you know what I mean. So yeah, I would have watched this in black and white. But it's funny because I don't remember the stories being in black and white. And in fact, there's one episode of this I'm pretty sure I watched at somebody else's house, but I can't quite remember now. Anyway, let's get into it. It's funny the little quirks that we have, though, where it's not just about, oh, I watched this Doctor Who story. It's where I was or what we had in our lives at that time. That's why it's such a powerful tool, because it's a it's a sort of anchor within, if not key moments, like I've just done one recently. I did Remembrance of the Daleks. There's a key moment there. My grandfather died. But it anchors us in little, oh, we had that telly then, or that was the pet that we had, or that was the room of the house that the telly was in, because we, we actually changed the room. We, there was, we, by the time all my brothers and sisters had left home, the house was so cold, We my mum and me watched telly in the kitchen because there was an arga, and that's what kept that room warm. So why would you warm the rest of the house when you've already got a room, room that is constantly warm because an arga is constantly on? So uh, we did actually move. It's in- Anyway, I'm sure none of that is of interest to anybody, but I think, uh, you know, you do sometimes get flashes of, oh, I watched that story in that room. I remember the room I was in when I watched my first ever episode of Doctor Who, and I remember the room I was in when I watched the two doctors because that was when we got that new color telly and that what anyway interesting right so anyway i don't i'm i would guess what room we were in when we watched megloss but i do have as i say i do have a feeling i watched at least one at a school friend's house but it doesn't matter it's doctor who it's doctor who and the megloss and we're going to press play in three, two, one. Oh, look at that. I could just do that with my fingers without having to shout at anybody. So this was still a relatively new title. I still think of this Starfield title sequence with Tom Baker's face in particular. Well, I, I, I see it as new, <laughs> but also as unusual with Tom Baker's face, because obviously we got used to it much later with, with Davison and Colin Baker. But the Starfield and Tom Baker is uh, is quite an unusual one because it's so short-lived, I guess. Uh but it, it felt like a, a, a modern spangly interloper into the far better, uh, because it was the one I grew up with, um, Bernard Lodge, you know, TARDIS time tunnel one. I, that is still my favourite, uh, I think. Uh, Tom Baker is looking quite 
gaunt and thin, isn't he? But I like I like that he has you know he's got half of his costume off and he's got an apron and he's he's getting up to stuff in the TARDIS. Um, you know, TARDIS scenes in Doctor Who at this time were were very much you know part of its make. You expected a TARDIS scene, really. I, I've got a feeling I missed the beginning of Megloss because. I rem- remember not quite knowing where the Earthling had turned up from, and then when I got the book, because uh, this was one of the few Target books I, I, I got of stories that I'd seen, and I think I must have been, I think I maybe got it because it was the only one in the school bookshop or something, but I'd I'd got it as a sort of, because I wanted to get a Doctor Who book and there weren't many options, because I would it wouldn't have been a go-to because I had seen it, and if I had seen it, I was less interested, even though I'd only seen it once. I was less interested than in you know stories of yore that were marvelous and from the golden olden age even though i enjoyed meglos as a, as a kid and i have to say i i have some sympathy with fraser um in that i too found season 18 quite dour um and i certainly didn't see this as a different kind of story from the others certainly of a, a lower quality story uh, i remember thinking it was quite exciting and i said you know i didn't read that the that the general gregor and co were sort of humorous characters um but then when i was older and i started collecting on video it was definitely you know megloss was definitely this is this is the kind of duffer of season 18 and i think it probably is and for some of the reasons that are oft talked about um but i still think it's great fun uh and and i and i have to now i like this these these special eye that special eye medicine that's just a nice little attention to detail the sort of medical attention given to that extra uh, and this is lovely lighting here in uh, in in this part of uh, uh Tigella, um which where where we're seeing what's going on you know on this planet that uh, is is rather now sort of ni- humorously rendered i.e you know if if you've got hair like that you're a scientist if you've got the hats on uh you're uh you're religious and there's no nuance in anyone's beliefs uh you know one but one set believe in one thing one set believe in the other and they argue about it but only using two speaking actors <laughs> it's uh, and qu- and quite how Zasta fits in is anybody's guess. Well, uh, uh, I don't believe in God, uh, uh, but I haven't got that sort of hair, so I'm leader. Um, although he does say he's a believer later, doesn't he? Wonderful to see Jacqueline Hill. And I remember her, but I hadn't realised, of course, because I was, however old I was, six or seven when this was on, I hadn't realised that was Barbara. In fact, did I even know? I didn't know who... No, I, I'd, know, I'd have known of Barbara because cause I'd got the books. Um... But I'd never seen I'd never seen a Hartnell story at this point, um, and it, and it has to be said I was talking to somebody about this today, you know Shakespeare does this where you know countries or peoples or sects or whatever uh, or political factions will be represented by one person who kind of who you know who who, who is who is a spokesperson mouthpiece slash representation of the whole lot, and and it's and it's a necessary compromise of of you know television and drama oh she just said compromise too where you know all of the dions will be represented by jacqueline hill and all of the savants by uh 
by Crawford Logan uh, as Diedrichs, although Karis, Karis, they get two speaking actors, uh, whereas uh, Jack, uh, the Dion's only get one, so you can tell whose side the writers are on. <laughs> uh, I think Jacqueline Hill is very good, um, but this, you know, this is this is this is sort of um, ch- ch- children's drama planet representation, isn't it? Where you know you've you've got these two factions are very broadly drawn and it and it, and it is and it is sort of slightly reminiscent of the worst of star trek as well where it's sort of rather ponderous people arguing very sincerely with each other about stuff that's just made up um and that's a lovely line about the doctor seeing the universe uh, seeing the strands that uh, join the universe together and mending them while they break uh, poor old edward underdown who was uh, i mean this has been covered in a lot of what is talked about with Beglos was a was a handsome and dignified actor in his day, and is is a is a bit poorly now when making this, and and so as a result is a bit kind of, it's a bit sort of stiff and wooden, and uh, it's it's you know he's uh, he, he doesn't do anything wrong, but he's kind of underpowered really. It's uh, and 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 it's the kind of part that it's not it's not a great the part doesn't really help either, um, but yeah no as a, as a kid. I actually think I probably found this more fun than the sort of, you know, you know, maths in a lay-by or or even something like Keeper of Traken, which you know I think is hugely admirable now, but 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 seemed again seemed sort of slightly slow and poetic, whereas I wanted sort of action adventure and obvious bad guys, and this has obvious bad guys. You know, it's got the spiny cactus guy and it's got the space pirate chaps um it's it's funny i wonder how people because i know people don't like david tennant and uh and billy piper when they're very sort of confident and holding hands and but but the doctor and romana romana they are quite smug aren't they well romana i think romana is a little bit but uh, uh i don't mind it at all i think it's quite fun um and i and i think lala ward is quite you know has a, has a sort of perky perky energy about her um uh and 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 i mean this this is a tempting uh, an interesting conversation about you know the difference between science and religion uh and you know uh, with all the schisms that are currently ripping apart our discourse uh you know, the, 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 there is there is very little nuance in these two arguments that are being presented. And you think, oh, uh, uh, you, you wouldn't have such unnuanced arguments in, in real life. And you go, well, actually, we, we do these days. Uh, and I love the way that Jacqueline Hill does her then where when she's you know where, and it's and, and it's a great it's a real unfortunate thing for the scientists where they're going, you know, uh, this this is not a heavenly thing it's 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 scientific it's man it's man-made uh but they have no explanation as to where it came from and that's the interesting thing about faith actually i'm not a religious person but i i'm not as dismissive of uh, of religion as some of my tribe because i actually think religion takes a slight effort of the will which i always think is laudable but it also takes an element of humility that i have to say some of my atheist uh brethren <laughs> do, do not have you know i there's nothing more tiresome i think than a, a, a militant atheist it strikes me as common sense that it's unlikely that uh 
there's a deity out there especially as you know different cultures have come up with their own versions of the same thing and what and it just happens that what ours would be right because of where we were born you know that, that that it strikes me as just you know fairly unlikely but anything where you sort of humble yourself and are you know less important to a a, a code of ethics that has been uh you know di dictated by a divine being m means that you know you, you know we all know yes how badly religion has manifested itself in various societies and it's been used as a tool for uh everything you know, segregation and and uh and and uh it, you know um the protection of the powerful etc but also it 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 also has prompted very selfless acts great charitable acts great great cohesions in societies and uh, uh, uh and uh and so you know i i i you know i understand where religion comes from and i understand that it can definitely be uh, a force force for good and i think uh, uh and, and and also you know yes science is very important and scientific rigor is very important but also uh, science can be very badly used uh, and applied and mishandled. So, uh, you know, it, it's opening up a very interesting argument, albeit in very, very basic terms, but that's because it's Doctor Who. Now, here we have uh, General Grugger and co and their slightly fringy CSO hair and beards. Um, Stick-on beards are a thing. I was going to say you don't get much anymore, but I watched the first episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds last night, and that's got a stick-on beard. So actually, stick-on beards still get plenty of work. Um, this scene sync uh, uh, technology is rather marvellous. I like these screens, and I like the fact they have a little play with it on this this establishing stuff of uh, of the gas tax where they walk round one and behind one and scratch the surface one. They're not just going, you know, we're using this scene sync to get these, you know, these these small models of these screens to, to tower over actors who are in real life much taller than they are. But we're going to get them to interact in a way that's going to show this technology is really really working. Now, obviously, that CSO fringing is not uh, is is not really up to scratch today. But I think it's pretty reasonable, and I like the fact you see the shadows on the planet's surface, and and as I say, that they walk round. Uh, that they walk around those screens and that they that, that you, you know you can have a sort of wide shot and a moving shot uh because of all the synchronization that's some you know some quite bad cso bleeding there but uh you know i'm into that i think that's uh i think that's good fun and it means that it gives this story you know it's its own unique uh sort of us yes yeah, usp is a unique selling point but it's it's its own its own particular visual uh style that that is something that can you know when you go think about megalos you go oh well it's you know it's the one with scene thing as well as the one with spiny face doctor and blah -de blah um they are comedic villains there's nothing wrong with a comedic villain uh there's a danger when you have a comedic villain because if the villains are too stupid they're not a threat but they're they're pretty amoral and you know that they'll uh, and i quite like the fact that they're they're not i love i love that uh that musical sting as well um oh and uh, uh, and, and bill fraser's wonderful piratical eyes i mean they're giving a performance all on their own uh 
by the way, I don't know. I haven't read the info text on the Blu-ray. I think the DVD uh, gets it wrong. There are certainly all the all the paper accounts of Megalos I've seen say that Christopher Owen, the Earthling, does the voice of Megalos. He doesn't. It's this guy, Crawford Logan. Crawford Logan is a very experienced uh, Scottish, as it happens, uh, radio actor. He played Paul Temple on the radio, uh, and he is Diedrichs, and he is in none of the scenes uh, with uh, the plant and the, the the pirates and the earth. Whereas Christopher Owen as the Earthling is in the scenes with them, so it's not very practical that he would be doing the voice of Megalos. So I see why people would think he would, because there's some dialogue that he has uh, uh, that is treated where it's the Megalos speaking through the Earthling, for sure. But when the plant is talking, when it's the plant, that is not Christopher Owen. It is. Crawford Logan and we covered that in my Who's Round episode but I don't know if anybody that actually writes up the things uh, has ever bothered to listen to those I've, I've read whole books on, on subjects that could have done with listening to some of the people that I've interviewed uh, on Who's Round who don't who don't list them in their sources and you think how, how, how much research have you bothered to do if you haven't I'm not saying that the Blu-ray range should by the way but but other more specialist you know, books on, say, a particular contributor, and you go, well, I interviewed about nine people that worked with that person. You you haven't listened to my interviews with those people where I asked them about that person? That's, that's seems... Anyway, anyway. Uh, the dodecahedron. Now, that's going to be something... I remember the dodecahedron from watching it. And I remember the gas tax, and I remember the plant. So, as I say, I think I came into this episode a bit late because I don't think I'd seen the beginning. And when I got the book... Uh, of course, the opening of the book is is the Earthling being kidnapped, which we don't see uh, in the story. And I remember being quite surprised by that, that it starts with the Earthling already captured. And for a story that underruns, it seems to me that we're missing a trick there. Of course, you'd have for those scenes, you'd have probably needed a location. Uh, and that was uh, that was something that this production doesn't have. Um, I love the fact that Brotterdack steals the thing. I, I like the 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 rather mistrusting dynamic between the gas tax uh, and Meglos uh, and but the, also the fact that he's one step ahead of them with all of that so that it doesn't undermine him and in fact yes having the stupid I suppose they're the secondary villains even though they're more prominent characters than Meglos but but it means that he because he's one step ahead of them, makes him slightly more potent a threat because he's got these sort of underlings who are duplicitous and slightly com comedic uh, who he kind of runs rings round um, and therefore it enables Romana to run rings around the gas tax without us losing any all sense of danger from the story because actually they're not the main threat uh, but Bill Fraser seemed to be everywhere at, uh, at this point I certainly knew who he who he was and of course he's in canine and company as well it was like oh, well, somebody obviously likes him but I I didn't remember Brotterdack from uh, watching it as a kid and then when I got the book, my favourite thing about the book was Brotterdack because he was so funny. Uh, and then I, I, I discovered later uh, when reading the Doctor episode guide, I went, well, let's see, who, who, you know, who played Brotterdack? And I'd known Frederick Treves as an actor. He's in a thing called Brat Farrar with Mark Greenstreet. And uh, he got uh, he got credited above Mark Greenstreet, even though Mark, so it was suggested that he was a, actually quite a senior actor. And he, and he popped up in all sorts, usually wearing tweed, usually as a general or a ministry man or whatever. Um, and so when I saw that he played Brotterdack, I was like, what? That is completely the last person I would have expected. And I have to say, 
if you've grown up watching Frederick Treves in the stuff that Frederick Treves was usually in, you, I mean, I watched this knowing it was when I then collected it later and, and having been quite surprised that it was Frederick Treves, still was like, is that really Frederick Treves? Because he's quite unrecognisable. He's grown a few whiskers and he's, uh, he's, he seems slightly thinner faced, partially due to, or maybe he's not, it's because he's not wearing a three breasted suit or whatever. I don't know. But he really is unrecognisable as Frederick Treves and is having a whale of a time, is definitely cast against type, and I think is absolutely delightful. Um, and the spelling is changed in the book because, and I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know, I'm sure, um, but uh, Brotterdak is a an anagram of bad actor because John Flanagan and Andrew McCulloch, the writers, thought that this was the sort of part that would usually be given to a bad actor. And when Fred, Freddie Treves found out, he was so delighted, uh, he phoned his wife. And I even talk about that in one of my stand-up shows, where Megalos features quite heavily as a sort of story I think's a bit naff. It's in it for that... For uh, I, I just needed a sort of go-to thing that, that people would recognise. I've, I've, never, I've never had any particular ire towards Megalos, although I... You know, when I when I got grown up and realised how important and scientific and lovely and elegiac and poetic and smart season eighteen was, I you know I would I would be a bit sniffy about uh, Megalos because it does it does have its issues of you know all the virtues the other stories have, which also have their problems, but all the virtues the other stories have that make them uniquely season eighteen. The, the, this 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 story does not have, but I take Fraser's point that uh, that uh, in and of itself it's it's great fun and watch you know i watched it the other day because i hadn't watched it for a while in preparation for this and and you know in enjoyed certain aspects of it i enjoyed certain aspects of it i'm not sure are particularly good but that's perfectly fine because it's not being broadcast uh, uh you know at half past five on a saturday tea time now expecting modern audience to accept it it's being watched as an historical artifact and something look at the way that fraser's eyes act <laughs> and one of them goes quite sort of wide-eyed and bulbous and the other one sort of uh squints and and they both roll but almost in different directions <laughs> uh and they're wearing and i love i love this uh this theme by the way for the for the changeover for the for the swap of Megalos and the and the and the Earthman and the Earthman as a bespectacled city gent, I think is a perfect image. That is a perfect Doctor Who image for me. Christopher Owen looks absolutely right. Although there's now shades of Jacob Rees-Mogg, but Jacob Rees-Mogg is a charlatan who wears the clothes, who wears the costume of a dignified, uh, uh, polite Englishman, but uh, would uh, would uh, asset strip this country and sell its bones for a fiver. Anyway, uh, that's not the point. Um, see, I think this is Christopher Owen speaking now, but he wasn't doing the voice when it was the plant, but it's the same treatment. But uh, I, I think the choice of having... I love, you know, part of Doctor Who's joy is that it's this sort of quaint British tradition in a way. I like the way that Christopher Owen does his this alien sort of hand touching as well and i love that very simple device of going you know what does our monster look like uh it looks like a person but with with a cactus skin and face uh, i love that uh that's you know that's a great doctor who thing to do you've got a city gent 
in a suit uh, with a green spiny cactus face and hands. And I love that slightly alien way that Christopher Owen sort of touches his face there. And the bit where he transforms a little bit later where he's slightly out of shot, I think is terrific. But I like that theme as well. And, and when the, t- the plant and him go backwards uh, and that piece of music, because of course we, we have one musician for this episode and then a different musician for the next three. So that's quite interesting. Uh, but um, but I, but I like that. That was quite dramatic and quite exciting, and and I and you know and I like the fact that the that the gas tax initial thought is to go well. We'll just nick this stuff and then we'll bugger off. And Megloss is like, I knew you were going to do that, so I'm locking you in, kind of thing. All of that is all of that is beautiful. I thought that's that's quite nicely done. It, it speaks to the character of all of those villains who uh, you know are enjoyable to be around. Um, Tom does look so gaunt though, doesn't he, Tom Baker? Um, um, but yeah, but um, the other thing was, for years, or, or well, for a short time, I, I pronounced it Megalos. Because we watched it at the time, and I talked about it to my friends at school, and we called it Megalos. And even when I got the book and it was Megalos, I was like, well, do they just not pronounce the, the, the uh in the middle then? Because it's not, it's not Megalos. Megalos sounded wrong to me. It's easier to say when you say Megalos. Megalos. Uh, and there are various... I, there are, I can't think of any now, but there are various words where you'd throw in an extra syllable to make it easier to say as a kid. I'm sure I haven't made that up. Um, but anyway, it's, there's still a part of me that thinks that it's called Megalos. Even though I was there at the time, this is not, it's not like Crinoid and Crinoid where I got it wrong from reading the book. And then when I watched it, was corrected. I watched this go out, and I was convinced it was it was Megalos, um, the Chronicus Teresis loop. Uh, I mean, there's some real liberties taken with the timings in this these stories in this story. Um, I mean, the the main characters haven't left the TARDIS yet. Um, I do like Romana's costume, by the way. Um, but this, you know, a time loop is a kind of thing as a kid that you could definitely get your head around as being a threat and it's a Doctor Who-y thing because it's time and they're in a, in a you know, they're in a TARDIS and this is science. And you don't want the science fiction to be too hard or complicated. Um, I mean, we'll talk next week about the way that they get out of this through the through the medium of amateur dramatics. <laughs> He's the... T- t- Tom Baker has a wonderful mournful countenance when he wants to doesn't he um uh i love i love this shooting from i don't think terence dudley is the world's greatest director but i do think it's quite uh, again quite a fun part of doctor that terence dudley who writes various weird stories a bit later on has also directed the show but he never he never does both sort of at the same time um or, or, or within the same season because he was a, a I mean I get the impression he wasn't uh, he wasn't everybody's cup of tea shall we say uh, um, but yeah and I, but yeah he, he directs this this is the only Doctor Who story that he directs but I like that um, I like that shot over the earth man's shoulder where he's doing something that we can't quite make out it's it's a bit like i mean it's not in the same league but it's a bit like the bit i love in waters of mars where you know you're focusing on the foreground and in the background somebody slightly out of focus starts shaking a bit weird which means that they've been taken over by the water beasts of doom and i love that because it's unnerving and it's strange and it's just in the corner of your eye and i i do kind of like that with um 
uh, with with the Earthman there that, that that they haven't quite focused on what he's doing, and he's doing something strange, and and I, I, I still don't quite know exactly what he's doing, but it's just a bit weird and just a bit off kilter, and it means it's a little bit unsettling, and it is a a very economical way of showing that something is happening, so that then when he turns around and it's the Doctor you sort of you know you retrofit that and go oh well that's whatever he was doing was you know changing shape to us you know to get us into that cliffhanger and and be and be uh you know the 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 plant plant earth man hybrid is now looking like looking like doctor who and suddenly you go oh we're in a completely different story there's a it's it's going to be one of those stories where the you know the actor playing the doctor also gets to play the bad guy which will have interesting consequences but i have to choose something for episode one of Megalos. And I think I'll probably have to get in there early with, partially because I I love the bit uh, where uh, Lex is having that conversation with Zaster and he he says something like, you know, will you trust me to sort it out? And she, who's obviously been etched as the intransient, um, religious, fetishist, intractable villain type, uh, gives him a sort of warm smile and you know and, and is giving an attempt to say that although she's the you know she she's the crazy religious figure um she's not going to play it entirely on that note and i sort of do buy that she and zastor have a a kind of friendship which 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 is nice and which is because i've you know because because the story doesn't really want you to side with the dions um but but you know you've got a classy actress there giving it a little bit of extra depth, and I particularly like the way that she goes. Then where when Diedrich has done is you know it's an artifact, it's scientific, and you go yeah of course it is these silly religious people, and she just very reasonably having done her having had to do her religious you know it is descended from the heavens and she's and again that's a you know that's a that's a perfectly reasonable acting choice. It's not it's not a kind of thing you'd probably do now. But but in in terms of the the metier within which she is working, that that kind of religious fervor thing, which again underlines what she's representing in the you know in the face of the other thing that is being represented within the 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 the, 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 the you know the very broadly drawn dynamic in the planet of Tigella, uh, and then she brings it right down for then where and very reasonably, uh, and also the fact that you know then later on I discovered that that character whom I'd remembered particularly for a moment that I will talk about in a later episode uh, is Jacqueline Hill from the dawn of Doctor Who and I love that I because you know this this didn't happen massively with with shows at that time and it seemed like sort of something really magic when it did because if somebody had left a thing they didn't go back to it um or certainly that was how it seemed to me and so many series when i was you know you know you know you know loads of regulars would leave at the end of one season a whole new load of regulars would come in next season you didn't expect to see any of the old ones come back because actors moved on to other things and the idea that actors would come back to a thing now i'm i'm aware that things are much much different but it still it still felt in those days that that you know an actor would have to be really doing doctor who a favor to sort of want to come back to it because people moved on whereas of course most actors desperate for work all the time uh but although there was more work about those days um but then i read in a book you know i think it was in doctor who celebration that said that jacqueline hill came back to play lexa in megalos and so suddenly i was like oh my god and i saw her in that when i was a kid how lucky was i as a kid i saw barbara come back to doctor who 
Um, so not only because she's really, really good, and because we love Jacqueline Hill in this house, we love Ian and Barbara in this house, I love everything that Ian and Barbara stand for, and I love the two actors that play them. And the fact that the first Doctor Who, you know, companion actor to come back and play a different part, uh, and, and it's a sort of unique circumstance really as well either, because you know she comes a former regular comes back as a guest star in a different role uh which is unusual which is totally unusual um and in fact was vetoed with a story i've just recently done caves of androzani with uh, with michael craze playing krelper which uh, was vetoed by john nathan turner and yet he's allowed this to happen uh and it's wonderful that it happened and she's so good um but it's also what it represents it represents that barbara has come back to Doctor Who, and not for any anniversary thing, not for any special reason, not even some in some bells and whistles story, but in a in a strange, uncelebrated, occasionally very silly uh, slice of Doctor Who, where there's far bigger headlines to be had around it. The story before, you know, transforming the look of the show and the end of the season, you know, uh, seeing out the longest-serving leading man in a funny little interlude with. Uh, uh, some comedy pirates and uh, and, <laughs> and 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 a strange jungle planet. Uh, there's a there's a there's a supporting role being played by a Doctor Who icon. Because of course, in those days, we didn't really think of some of those characters as icons. Yeah, they were the, the old companions or whatever. But I think we can now say that Ian and Barbara are Doctor Who icons, uh, and that there's a Doctor Who icon nestled within the humble environs of Meglos. So it's Jacqueline Hill uh, returning to Doctor Who, but also being Lexa and the stuff that Lexa does because she gets some lovely, lovely moments, you know, within some, you know, fairly uninspiring, uh, uninspiringly staged scenes where, you know, the whole dynamic of a planet is, you know eight extras in a room one in one set of costumes one in another set of costumes and at their head a speaking actor representing all of them and in the middle of those two speaking actors another actor who's who's in who's in a rather tired way trying to mediate between the two of them ah dear 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 uh so it's Jacqueline Hill all the way um so will so I haven't said I isn't it interesting? I've skirted around saying her name, uh, but I haven't said. And I thought that's oh, very good. I've I've got away with and and, and because I've had complaints, uh, but because she's broken, I haven't said Alexa for this whole thing. <laughs> I've just I've just said Lexa about nine times, which will probably have the same effect. So so if I was to score Lexa ten out of ten, that's probably just played havoc with your equipment. What does Fraser, who, by the way, for those of you that are listening, because this comes out as a podcast, first, uh, will it ever be a YouTube video? I don't know if I'm honest at this stage. Um, and and it's that's a shame because Fraser has dressed as Tom Baker. So I'm about to hear from Fraser Gregory in the form of a video in which he has the hat and the scarf and has gone to the great e to great effort to make his presentation visually interesting. And so here am I giving it to you in the audio medium. Over to Fraser. I hope he chooses Barbara Wright as Lexa. What's he going to choose as his favourite thing for part one of Meglos? So it was actually really difficult to narrow down to just five things what I really love about Meglos. Um, 
But for episode one, what I have picked is the way that episode one opens. That opening TARDIS scene with the Doctor and Romana. And I'm not referring to the chronic hysteresis and the waggling of canine's tail, though that is fantastic. It is the fact that the story picks up where the leisure hive left off. So you have Romana in the same outfit, you have the Doctor fixing canine after he's been into Brighton Beach. And it's that continuation of one story into the next that we haven't seen really since um, season 12 and before that we didn't really see after the Patrick Troughton era and it's something that f follows on in the rest of season 18 so um, Megloss leads into Full Circle where there's the reference to the Earthling being dropped off at home to his wife um, that then gives you the E-Space trilogy which then goes into the um, Keep of Tarkin and Legopolis and Castrovalva trilogy. So, the fact that season twelve flows like one continuous story, um, all coming from episode one of Megloss, is my first favorite thing about this. Well, that's nice and not what I chose, but I agree. I, I, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because I remember being very surprised when not long after this, uh, you know, I saw the first. William Hartnell story that I saw which was an unearthly child and was surprised to see it end by leading into the next story and then you know discovered down the years that oh you know for the first first few years of Doctor Who it was an adventure in space and time time and space because one story led to the other most of the, pardon me most of the time and then when you think that stops happening when the individual episode titles go you go oh it becomes much more self-contained then of course uh it doesn't at all because uh, Tenth Planet leads into power, um, uh, Moonbase leads into Bacra Terra, uh, Faceless Ones leads into Evil of the Daleks, um, uh, uh, Web of Enemy of the World leads into Web of Fear, Dominators into the Mind Drop. So suddenly you're going, oh, this thing that I think only happened in the Hartnell era and doesn't happen again happens loads. And it happens after this, doesn't it? Of course, you know, um, Forty Doomsday into Kinder, uh, Frontios into Resurrection. Uh, you know, so um, it's something I think doesn't happen. And then when you watch a story or watch stories and all, you go, oh, no, it actually happens quite a lot more than I think. But I remember when I encountered it, because even when I was younger, I didn't really think that one Doctor Who story led to another. I thought there were a series of adventures. And, and, and so when they did link together, I, was, I loved it because it felt like it was sort of knitted together as, as part of a greater whole that made me feel a bit more a part of it. I don't know, because there was sort of continuity. It meant me as a loyal viewer who watched all the time felt like I was, I was on a continuing flow, which, which made me feel invested slightly more in it or rewarded slightly more by it because, because I got more out of it than the person who hadn't been watching last week or whatever. So I, I, I like what Fraser has, has alluded to there that, 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 um, you know, when, when it seems that one story is picking up from where another left off, uh, you know, you as a as a regular viewer enjoy that, and you're feeling you're part of, you know, a greater whole. Although interestingly, instinctively, I remember when I I got to know an older fan, and I didn't get to know many when I was younger. I remember him him saying who'd watched a lot of the old stories back in the day. He said he thought it was better when they didn't do that because it was in, it was so unlikely that you'd go in real life from one adventure directly into another. And he preferred the idea that what we see of Doctor Who's life is just the exciting bits, and there's plenty of times where they're just putting their feet up, and that is more believable. And of course, it's more believable. It's a ridiculous idea that you know, every time you 
land the TARDIS you're going to land in some dangerous situation but then again Doctor Who is quite a really ridiculous idea but th- of course that's not an excuse to make it unbelievable you don't go well nobody travels through space and time in a police box so therefore we can do anything because you go well no within that ridiculous premise I still have to make it as believable as possible for the drama to work and for to anything that helps the viewer get on board and go okay, okay I've got to put that ridiculousness aside and still believe in this um so I, I you know I, it's 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 on on the one hand I, you know I sort of like it both ways in a way because on the one hand I do think it's a bit unbelievable if every story leads on to the next story. But on the other hand, I do really like it when one story uh, relates to another or leads into another, particularly in the classic era, for some reason. I don't know why that is. Um, I, 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 you know, I, 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 I like it. I think because current Doctor Who has story arcs across the whole season, I think I, I strive a little bit more for individual episodes to be a little bit more individualistic because... Um, you want to watch a standalone and you don't want to have to you don't want to have to have the idea of oh well this only makes sense if you've watched episode one and episode 13 Do you know you, that gets a little bit that then I've got my eye on the, the, you know the the general viewer and I'm worried about them being alienated but also sometimes I just want to sw- watch a slice of you know Doctor Who that stands alone whereas of course all pretty much all Doctor Who adventures from classic Who st- standalone um although some of them have references and as we know there's that argument that john nathan turner made the whole thing too referential to 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 the show's past or whatever um so i sort of have my cake and eat it with it i i i totally buy what fraser said and i do like that and it makes me you know as a feeling as something that i can't really quantify sort of comforted when oh yeah that's referred to that that thing that i know about um but equally i'm also very happy when it's just a series of oh no you've dropped in on you know over a two-year period you know they well, not that but you know it's been a couple of weeks since the last adventure they've been to a couple of planets and now but this is the dangerous one so yeah i like that um because it uh, and it, it does also show interestingly when i was talking about you know the nuances of the arguments between science and religion and i have you know i have sympathy with both both sets of arguments and both sets of arguers you know it's possible to not be religious but to see the importance of religion and almost in a way admire people who you know who who follow a a, a moral code and also be horrified by people that follow the same set of instructions and do it to do horrendous things of course um and of course i equally admire people that you know I, i'm 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 equal, i'm I, you know, my personal sympathies lie more with going well you know no i'm responsible for everything that i do and any moral code i have i, I have to account for without saying well some this is written down over here that it's okay or not okay if i do this i've you know i've got nobody to blame but myself but i but i also get quite you know t- tired of uh, of sort of smug atheism if you like so mm-hmm. You know, there's there's nuance everywhere. That that machine that isn't Electra has just made a noise at me, which is really really worries me. God, that's the other thing about modern technology. It makes noises and it does things. The uh, the 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 speaker that is nearly got Jacqueline Hill's name in Megloss. One of the reasons we've had problems. She's not been pairing with the Fire Stick, uh, and I think it's just that our 
our speaker who cannot be named is quite an old one and we updated our fire stick and it's just not playing sound uh, and I've tried everything and sometimes it does and if I restart everything and sometimes it doesn't but you know this is get, it's getting really irritating so anyway we we've paired it with this but yes but um a couple of days ago because we've got these lights as well that you, we haven't programmed the switches but they're, they're for disabled people because my partner can't can't really flick switches but she can touch pad and we've got these things that need to be p properly uh properly uh programmed uh and we ran out of money um uh but they, you know, they can dim or turn off or go up or whatever. And anyway, she was in the bedroom the other day and the lights just went on of their own accord. She called me up and said, have you just pressed anything? I was downstairs. I was like, no, she said, the lights have just come on. I wasn't touching anything. Uh, and then that the, the following morning, we woke up to the speaker with Jacqueline Hill's name from Meglos nearly uh, talking downstairs. Now, I don't quite know what she said, but she said something and we weren't there. And we weren't talking to her. So, and but now this new speak thing, which which makes a noise a bit like a, a sort of a, a, a bongo drum, has just done its bongo drum nose. I think because I wasn't playing anything through them, so it's they've gone. We're bored now. We're turning off. Uh, I didn't ask you to. And you've, if you made that decision for yourself, what other decisions will you start to make, speaker? Will you soon decide that you don't actually need humanity anymore? Whoa. Anyway, uh, that's. Uh, not the theme of Meglos, so uh, we can't really go any further with those thoughts. Uh, it's a funny old thing, Meglos. I don't, you know, hand on heart, I don't think it's particularly good, but will I be entertained watching it? Yes. Is it a story I will pick to watch for fun in the future? Yes. Uh are the better stories I will watch less frequently than Megloss? For sure. Because there are some stories that I think are very well made and are very smart and intelligent and good quality that don't that don't while away a Sunday afternoon in quite the same way that Megloss might. Uh, does it get some things wrong? Oh boy, does it. Yeah. <laughs> are some bits of it actively bad? Yeah, probably. But and yet... I, f I forgive it for all of that because I think I think some of its bad things like the, you know the depiction of the the society on Tigella which is very simplistic does have a kind of naive charm about it and and I've you've got to again you've got to kind of admire the ambition of going well I've I've got to I've got to present these big ideas and I've got three speaking actors with which to do it so this is how I'm going to do it and then the costume people go we've got a load of wigs well that'd be the makeup people wouldn't it would they go we if if we give all of one of them these wigs that'll that'll help sell it won't it uh so then the actors uh, go i've thought about my character and i think it would be excellent if Diedrich said, what's that that that's that's my hair what everybody who has who believes in science grows is where does that come from then do, do, is it that you start tinkering with a calculator and suddenly your hair grows blonde as a result or is it that you you know you show an aptitude for you know you recalibrate an engine and so they shave your head off and plonk plonk a, a, a wig for mathematical excellence on your head <laughs> how does that work i've no idea um but anyway doesn't matter it's an enjoyable slightly childish slightly silly um at times misjudged but at times very nicely judged uh interesting effort um and yes 
somewhat uh but you know it's it's very much its own thing it uh I, th- I suppose you could say it is unique in season 18 in terms of its its tone and its ambition and uh anything that i'm always a bit fond of anything that goes against the grain even though you know the grain of season 18 is one i i rather like but as i say at the time i wouldn't have been able to i wouldn't have said that megalos was any different to some of the other stories and actually it was much much easier to follow and much more in the image of what i as a whatever i was six or seven year old uh one you know thought of doctor who as which was you know bad guys threatening the doctor scary you know uh, lethal plants in you know tenderly jungles and you know space battles and laser guns and all of that rather than you know um elegant music and crushed velvet and lots of thoughtful chat about maths and stuff so thanks but but as i say i love that stuff now so you know uh we always come to revisit stuff as well uh and and rethink uh, and reframe the way that we see the world and by the world i mean certain doctor who stories <laughs> well you know it is i suppose it is it is a, it is a bit like a religion to me doctor who um uh it is <laughs> descended from the heavens or oh, bbc television center Trying not to disappoint the Tigellans with me, Toby Haydoke, has been Fraser Gregory, who can be found on Twitter at Felix Fraser. Could be Latin at Felix Fraser, but the spelling is the same. I'm grateful to him and to the many patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include Ruben Herfindahl, Stephen Moffat, Peter Burns, Peter Harness, Ronald Hayden, Rob Leonard, Christopher Meredith, Richard Straw, Neil Tate, Nick Tedston, Tim Arding, David, Nigel Bromley, Jenny at Blue Box 99, Paul Cook, Richard Chalk, Rob Dawson, Grant Davidson, John Deere, Chris Dunford, Kelk, Paul Dunn, Jason Gorman, Siobhan Galishon, Chris Hyam, Ian Key, Joe Llewellyn, Gavin McLean, Philip Marsh, Nathan Martin, Kevin Murdoch, Graham Knott, Adam Parker, Barry Platt, Risto Matti Cirillo, Frank Shales, and David Trainier. The music is by Dave Gates, and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. If you would like to join that list of people, you can do so by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Toby For as little as £3 a month, you get advance releases, you get bonus material, and you get monthly AMAs, and uh, you're ahead six months or so with these Happy Times and Places podcasts, and a month for the Too Much Information and Indefinable Magic podcasts. And there's also a unique to patron podcast called Far Too Much Information, as well as all sorts of other goodies and previews of things and interviews and etc. etc. Anyway, that's three pounds a month, patreon.com forward slash Toby The tiers go higher and there are other increments along the way, but all of the material, all of the broadcast material is all available at the lowest tier. And that tier also qualifies for a 10% discount as do all the other ones if you sign up and commit to a year in one go. Now you may want 
to avoid having to be committed to anything, but still reward a creative toiling away at the cold base of cyberspace, in which case you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock and essentially buy me a coffee. Um, which uh, doesn't unfortunately give you any of the bonus things, but it does mean you can occasionally show your appreciation if I sound especially hungry or I've done something that you particularly like. However, I know that times are tough, the world is going crazy and money, money is really, really tight. Everything's gone up in price. Well, these have not. These are free at the point of contact. And uh, all you have to do uh, that costs you nothing but helps, if that's what you'd fancy doing is to go to iTunes, to Podbean, to Spotify, anywhere on the internet where you can rate these things and give them five stars and a few lines of positive review. That really does help. It helps separate this from the very crowded uh, sphere of Doctor Who podcasting, which is full of great stuff and there are brilliant, brilliant people doing valiantly out there but you know I'm, I'm only plugging mine right now and uh, it really helps if you give a five-star review and say nice things and also tweet and facebook and do all of that stuff as well because it just gets word out there and you know i work hard on these and it would be nice if somebody like-minded who you think might not know about them might enjoy them uh, if you point them in this direction so thanks much appreciated if you could do that and i'm sorry i have to come a beg in but uh, that's the way of these things these days. And of course, that means I'm something of a social media whore, which means you can follow me on Twitter at Toby Haydoke. You can follow these podcasts at Haydoke Podcasts. So that filters out all the other extraneous non-Doctor Who flavoured stuff that I might do, uh, which includes plugging my comedy club at uh, Excess Malarkey. I mean, at Excess Malarkey is what it's called on Twitter. It's just called Excess Malarkey in real life. Those ads are just for cyberspace. Uh, but Excess Malarkey is every Tuesday in Manchester. It's run for 26 years on a not-for-profit basis, bringing fantastic comics for as little an entry fee as we can possibly conjure. And yeah, that's every Tuesday, and that has its Twitter feed at Excess Malarkey, if you'd like to find out about that. But I know a lot of Doctor Who fans couldn't give a monkeys about how funny I try to be. It's just the facts, mister. It's just the facts. Now, having plugged Patreon there, actually, as I'm recording this, the patrons uh, could, uh, I mean, have some justification in tapping their fingers and looking at their watch and going, hang on, it's Friday and we haven't had a release yet because patrons get something on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. Oh, and that's not in including the Tuesdays where you get pictures of my dog, but I don't really count that as a release. That would be a bit stiff of me. But um, as I record this, on Friday, uh, the 10th of March, fact fans, at uh, 10 to 8 in the evening, uh, when normally you know, one minute past midnight, something plops into their inbox. In fact, I don't know how it happens. I don't know how you get it, because I don't get any of that. But I throw it out there, people seem to listen. However, they've had nothing today, but that's because at midnight, uh, I was just <laughs> wrangling, getting my other half, uh, uh, who was... Uh, uh, Yes, it was un unwell. Um, and then uh, to try and sort out getting stuff to her in hospital. Um, 
I had another wrangle with uh, this morning with uh, uh, an Uber who uh, t- who pulled in to pick me up and take me on this round trip that I had booked and uh, took one look at the folded wheelchair. And I'd ordered a big Uber as well so that it would fit in, even though they're designed to get into big boots. So, you know, I could have booked a smaller Uber, but I just thought, I'll, you know, I don't want to annoy anybody at this time in the morning. Uh, he took one look at the wheelchair and pulled away. But then he very sillily, um, in order to go home, um, turned round and passed the house again. And next to my house is some traffic lights that he had to stop at. So I ran across the road and had a word. So it's been a long and tiring day. And I've also been waiting for the final um, few bits of voice for the latest edition of Too Much Information, which is nearly good to go. But I wasn't I, I needed another couple of takes on a couple of the uh, the additional voices from my wonderful guest voice person who you know has to do it with sort of no direction from me and so occasionally uh, I ask her to do some uh, retakes just uh, to do a different speed or a different emphasis or whatever and she always does and she's always great but she's she's busy too she's a busy working actress and fabulous she is too Uh, so it's all been a bit of a juggle and I think and so so this one I've brought forward in the schedule I don't know why I'm telling you this well I just have to tell you stuff at the end so that anybody that's that's hung around till the end gets something I, I think I used to just throw in a line or a quote or a joke and now it's this sort of weird monologue that I can't think of is is of interest to anybody however yes um patrons get something every <laughs> every other day basically during the week but uh, patrons today have been a little late because I've had this uh, this slightly slightly cockahoop uh, not not copper to cockahoop top cockahoop is happy isn't it topsy-turvy day uh and so i've then been playing catch up and um catching up on sleep as much as anything but also having to uh, look after shares and that sort of thing not that i'm complaining uh and also not that i want to submit to rancor um i mean i did complain about this taxi drive and i do feel bad about that because um you know, in this day and age when people go to the trouble of giving things one star that people have worked very hard on, you think, why not just not do anything? Uh, that, you know, it seems a little bit vindictive, doesn't it? And we do have this, and I see for people sort of calling for people to be fired all the time. That person did a thing I didn't like. They should be fired. Do they? Should they really be fired? Um, and I don't want to be responsible for somebody being fired. You don't know what sort of day somebody's having. You don't know what sort of life somebody's having. And an inconvenience to me or a different of difference of opinion from mine I don't think means that somebody shouldn't be able to earn a living and that seems a cruel thing to take away from somebody now that, that you know obviously that becomes a bit more complicated when you're talking about uh you know people saying things in the media and doing things or, or you know behaving you know violently or whatever and and what this guy did was against the law but um I still don't I still don't feel comfortable wielding the sword but i have i have complained because uh as somebody a doctor who person actually a doctor who fan very rightly pointed out it's not about getting revenge it's about uh trying to head it off happening to somebody else because it was inconvenient and upsetting and there we go this has got nothing to do with doctor who uh but perhaps if i say it made me in a slightly spiky mood uh <laughs> i've relayed it to uh to to to, to megalos um but there we go that's that's a little bit of insight into why this was late although if you're listening to it on uh you know if you're not a patron and you're listening to it it's it's no later than it should have been because 
this will be six months later and uh, uh, and uh, you know I, I will probably have forgotten all about this but there we it's I think it's just an insight into the everyday world of which I I hadn't realized as a non-disabled my partner is a wheelchair user for those who don't know this stuff um, it uh, it is an insight into the sort of everyday casual little cruelties that are meted out to disabled people that I had no idea about until I started being involved with one and I'm gobsmacked uh, by the extent that these sorts of things go on. Anyway, there we, this is why Doctor Who is better than real life. There we are. That's that's it. Doctor, even Meglos is better than real life. Um, and I don't know, I suppose there's something cathartic about saying it out loud, which is why I'm grateful that you are out there listening to this, that the three of you that have remained now to the bitter end. Ta-ta.